You're listening to the Vance Pittman Leadership Podcast. This is a conversation all about leadership, vision, and joining in God's activity wherever you are. You can follow along with today's episode using the show notes at hopechurchonline.com slash podcast or on your favorite podcasting app. Thanks again for tuning in today. We hope you enjoy this episode. Well, welcome to episode 14 of the Vance Pittman Leadership Podcast. My name is Scott, and as, as always, I have the privilege of leading alongside Pastor Vance here at Hope Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. We're honored that you carve out some time as a leader to listen to this podcast. It's been really, really cool to hear of all the listeners, hear the people tuning in each month. Uh, the goal of what we're doing here is for leaders to be encouraged and challenged in their leadership no matter where God has you leading. Again, just want to encourage you, if you are, came across this podcast and have not listened to the first 13 episodes, really encourage you to go back. We've got a lot of great content from Pastor Vance. And also, a note before we begin, we encourage you to, to rate us and review the podcast. It really helps get the word out. And so if you are digging what you're hearing on this podcast, you can just go and you can rate it or review it, and we would really, really appreciate that. So thank you in advance for rating and reviewing the podcast. And now it's time to get to the man of the hour, Vance Pittman, sitting down here in his office on an amazing Monday morning here in Las Vegas. Vance, how you doing? Man, I'm doing great, Scott. It's a brand new year. Uh, things are going great here at Hope. We're excited about what God's doing in Las Vegas. Uh, it's a great time to be alive and involved in God's kingdom. We're seeing some awesome stuff happen here in our city. God's moving in great ways. So doing really good. Looking forward to uh, recording this podcast. So we are now in February 2019, and this podcast is actually being released the day after the Super Bowl. We're recording this a bit early. We are headed into the conference championships this Sunday. Four teams left. Vance, who you got going to the Super Bowl? You know, Scott, I'm not a betting guy. I live in Las Vegas, and I've never uh, bet on a game. But uh, if I was a betting guy, it would be really hard to bet against Belichick and Brady. I mean, they've just been there, done that so many times. But what's interesting about this playoff run is the matchups give us some incredible storylines. In both sets, you've got a veteran historic leader in Drew Brees, but he's you know going up against this young up and coming Jared Goff. And on the other side, you got this historic Tom Brady, and you got this up and coming uh, Patrick Mahomes, and so you got these these great storylines. And so either way it goes, it's going to be a, a, an incredible storyline. But yeah. I'd really love to see a Brees Brady Super Bowl. So I, I'd I'd like to see that play out. That's what I think. All these people have been talking about the young guns, and I think the veterans are going to. Tell them, put them in their place and, I like and, and it. get a 40 year old Super Bowl. So, I like it. Um, so, over the past couple months, we have asked you, the listeners, to send us your questions about life and leadership that you want Advance's take on. And so, today we are doing that. We are going to be answering your questions. And to make it interesting, I'm asking Vance to limit his answers to about three minutes. Now, if you know anything about pastors or you are a pastor listening to this, um, asking somebody to answer a question they're really passionate about in three minutes or less is going to be quite an adventure. So Vance, are you ready? I am. And uh, just remember, as you set the clock, you work for me. So we'll <laughs> see how the accountability goes on that. All right. So we have a list of questions here. We'll see how long we get, but we're going to do this three-minute drill for listener questions probably a few times throughout the year um, because you're sending in some great questions that we can't cover in one episode. So here's the first question. Vance, if you were stranded on a desert island with only five books in addition to the Bible, a student pastor named Bronson wants to know what would those books be? Man, this is a really hard question because I'm, um, I'm a voracious reader. As a matter of fact, our staff team here, all of the ministry level staff leaders at Hope, in order for them to even qualify for a merit increase at the end of the year, they're required to read at least a book a month. 
and they have to submit those titles. They pick their own books. But so, so reading is something that I'm super passionate about, and I love to see others read, and I believe it's one of the ways we continue to learn. So the list uh, of, of narrowing it down to five is really hard for me. But um, I'm going to give you five, but using my pastoral authority, I'm going to squeeze in a couple extras. But, but if I had to go five, the first would obviously be for me a book uh, entitled Because We Love Him by a man named Clyde Cranford. Clyde was my personal mentor. His book was published by Multnomah Publishers after his death. Uh, after he died, guys that had been discipled by him took his notes uh, and put it in book form and had it submitted to Multnomah, and they published it. Uh, it's not currently in print, but you can get it on Amazon online. Uh, but the book, to me, outside the Bible, the most holistic work on the Christian life you'll ever read. Slow read, but great book, because we love him, Clyde Cranford. Secondly, uh, The Calvary Road by Roy Hessian. Uh, just a phenomenal, phenomenal book to speak into your life, specifically if you're walking through any conflict, opposition, difficulty. Um, but just um, it's just a book that I reread every year, every other year at most, that God uses in my life in a great way. And all these books I'm giving you today are books that I read at least every other year, if not every year. Um, the third one I would give you is called The Indwelling Life of Christ by Major Ian Thomas. Profoundly impacted my life. Um, there's a quote that I use all the time uh, by Major Ian Thomas that says, um, the Christian life is nothing less than the life he lived then, lived now by him in you. I've learned so much about the Christ life from Adrian Thomas, and the indwelling life of Christ is one of his classics. Uh, fourth book would be a book called The Complete Green Letters by a man named Miles Stanford. Again, it's a, a book that's older, but uh, God, through a season of brokenness in my life, brought this book into my life. And it, again, really taught me this principle about intimacy, Christ in me, living through me. Uh, and then a fifth book that's a lot like that is uh, called Victory in Christ by Charles Trumbull. Another great book on the Christ life and what it means to live out of the overflow of intimacy with God. A couple of other books I would add. One is a newer book in my library. It was given to me as a gift because of my love for the readings and writings of Andrew Murray. A friend of mine, Bob Roberts, sent me a book called The Reverend Andrew Murray Devotional Reader. It was compiled by David Belt, um, and it basically takes the life work of Andrew Murray and his writings and boils it down into a 365-day devotional. Now, the downside, the book's about the size of a phone book. It's a big book. But I leave it on my desk at home, and man, I'm enjoy I, I am so enjoying that. It basically takes all of his writings and puts it together in devotional format, and it is incredible. Uh, then another book I would add is Hearing God by Dallas Willard about developing uh, an, 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 a, a, and cultivating an intimate relationship with God. And then one more that I would put on the list um, is a book called They Found the Secret by Raymond Edmond. And that's a book studying the lives of great Christian leaders and how they all came to the same discovery of where living the Christian life really comes from. So those are, pick your five out of that list and you won't go wrong. And I probably missed my answer by about 20 seconds or so. I'm pretty proud of you, man. It was three minutes and 49 seconds. So the fact <laughs> you're only 49 seconds off and you added three extra books, that is awesome. So Bronson, hope that encourages you. Uh, I've read several of those as well. Those are amazing books. And uh, not light reads either. So that will definitely set you up on your reading list for 2019. So we're going to go ahead and jump to question number two.
what are some methods or strategies that you have used, Vance, to disciple your family at home? Really great question. Answering this one in three minutes or less is going to be difficult. Um, so previous podcast uh, that we did where we talked about, I think a question you asked me was about spiritual leadership in the home. And back then I used four words that really kind of summarize. Uh, and these are not four words that like my wife and I have on a board somewhere. As I just thought about the question, these four words really summarize the way we've tried to lead in our home. And then I'll expound on it just a little bit. But they were the words team, transparency, trust, and time. Team in that my wife and I have always been at this together. Uh, it's something that we've owned as a couple, uh, that, that the discipleship of the home is one of the primary callings that we have on our life. So as a team, we've been about that. And then our kids have been involved in a lot of what we've done uh, from planting the church to joining in God's activity. All of my kids now have been involved in mission. My, my youngest daughter is going to Thailand here soon to join in God's activity. So um, it's, but there's been a team approach. Then transparency, we've tried to be real vulnerable and open inside of our home. Everything's been on the table. I kind of grew up in a generation where parents, there were things you just didn't talk about, but we've tried to make sure that our home was a safe environment where everything could be discussed and talked about. Another word is the word trust. Uh, there's a lot of trust that's established and built, and so we operated from a position of trust. And then time, choosing to put time and prioritize time in the family, I think is very important. So if you go back to that other podcast, you can hear me expound on those four things. But just to add a couple of other things to this idea of some methods and strategies, um, for my wife and I, we never found it best for us. And it's just, you got to find who you are and what works for you relationally. But for us, it never worked best to have that formal sit down, everybody come together. We're doing a Bible study in the home regularly. I'm not saying that's a wrong way to do it. It's a great way to do it. It just, with our life rhythm schedule and personalities and the different age groups in our home, that just never seemed to work best. And so we really followed the Deuteronomy 6, verse 7 principle, where Deuteronomy 6, uh, God says this to his people. He says, these words which I'm commanding you today, talking about his law, his words, shall be on your heart. Then he said this, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And what he was really giving us there were four times of day where we can be intentional about pouring into the next generation. And so that's really, rather than here's the weekly time we gathered our family together, we tried to be intentional about utilizing those times when he says, when you sit in your house, what's that? That's hangout time. That's when you're just at the house, everybody's hanging out. Maybe you're watching TV, so something comes on TV that's not pleasing to the Lord. What do you do? You turn that into a teaching moment. You don't just quickly change the channel. You begin to teach your kids why that's not pleasing to the Lord, why that's detrimental to their health spiritually, and you maximize that time. He talks about when you walk by the way. What is that? Well, back then, they walked everywhere they went. It's transportation time. The time you're in the car, something's on the radio, you're having conversation, you see something on a billboard, you become intentional about teaching in those moments. Then he says... Um, when you lie down and when you rise up, what's that? Before you go to bed at night, when you get up in the morning. Uh, so we used to, when, when our kids were younger, they were gonna, we'd try to have a prayer time when we'd put them in bed and kind of have that closing the day conversation about the Lord. And then around the breakfast table, you can also have conversations. So there's just uh, maximizing those opportunities throughout the day to be intentional about pouring into the next generation. Now, 
as we did it with a little bit more intentionality, my wife would kind of, we have two daughters and two sons. She would do a little more one-on-one with the girls. I would do a little more one-on-one with the guys. And so each of my sons have been now a part of, I have a group of men that I disciple for about a year and a half at a time, and each of my sons have been a part of that group where I took time and brought them in to a group of men, and I just let them walk with me on the same journey I would with other men, pouring into them as young men. My wife's done some stuff with our girls. The other two things that I would mention are when it comes to purity, um, we we had some major intentionality as it came to purity. So with my sons, when both of them were reaching that age of the conversation about sexual purity, I took each of them independently, one-on-one. We went on a guy trip for the weekend, made a big deal out of it, took them to do some really fun guy-type stuff, eat a lot of food, play some sports, gave them a gift. Uh, but then we sat down and we had conversations about purity. And I, I led them to a place of, of, of commitment and, and surrender before the Lord about guarding their purity and protecting that until they were married. My wife had a similar conversation with our girls, similar experience. And then I would take our girls uh, out on a very special, extravagant date, spend a lot of money, treat them really nice. And then I got them each a ring that I would give to them. And I, I proposed basically to my daughters and said, my job is to guard your heart until you, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, give that to another young man. And and I gave them a ring that they wore. And my youngest daughter still has it home. My older daughter, when when she got married, I actually took that ring. And at the wedding ceremony, I... I gave that ring now to her husband, and I said, it's been my job before the Lord to guard her heart, but now that's your job. The job that had been given to me has now been given to you. So I think you need to build an intentional tradition as it comes to sexual purity, especially in the world that we live in today. Then here's the final thing I'd say, and I'm way past my time on this one. Um, Moments of crisis. Moments of crisis are incredible teaching opportunities. And let me just give you this word of wisdom with your kids. When you're in a moment of crisis— uh, a son has looked at pornography, or a daughter has stayed out too late with a boy, or you found out there was a, 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 a lie that was told, whatever it may be. Here's what I want you to know. It's never as bad as it feels in the moment. Hmm. In the moment, you think, oh my goodness, my kid has been tarnished. It'll never be the same. And what you tend to do in that moment is you tend to overreact and you lose an opportunity to really speak Christ into their life in a moment of crisis, they're probably more vulnerable and more ready to listen than at any other moment in their life. And if you lose it, you lose an opportunity that God gave you. And so in those moments, the way God's wired my wife and I, I tend to be a little better in those moments of crisis. So in moments of crisis, it's never as bad as you think it is. And if you'll just take a breath, get before the Lord, you can bring some real instruction. I think in my kids' lives, they would tell you some of the most life-changing, life-altering moments were moments of crisis where we're able to sit down and bring application from God's Word into moments of crisis, and it brought lasting change into their lives. Wow. That is really, really, really good stuff. So if you ask that question or been wondering about that question, um, that was more than a three-minute drill, but it was worth it. That was really, really solid stuff. So we're going to move on to question three. This one comes from a pastor in Illinois. I won't share his name out of respect for the question, but here's the question he asked that he wants Vance's take on. How do you transition out bad volunteers? Great question. Um, I want to give you three words to try to answer the question. And first of all, I understand the question, the context of it, but there aren't really bad volunteers. We're talking about volunteers, people giving you time. 
What they really are are volunteers who may be serving in an area that's not their strength. It's not their. It's not the right place for them. So here's what I would say to you. Number one, you need to do it prayerfully. You need to transition them out, meaning this. You need to talk more to the Lord about it than you do to them about it. Uh, spend much time in conversation before the Father, making sure you have His redemptive, forgiving, gracious, shepherding heart before you engage that volunteer. So you do it prayerfully. Number two, you do it carefully, meaning this. You make sure you've done everything you need to do to make sure they're successful in that role as a volunteer. Sometimes they're not succeeding as a volunteer, and it has nothing to do with their effort, energy, and gifting. It has everything to do with your leadership and putting them in the right position to be successful. You need to make sure that you've put them in a position where they can be successful. And secondly, Uh, If you've done all of that and you know this is just not a good situation for them, then carefully you need to make sure you've done everything to prepare for this transition, meaning get ahead of it, make sure you've done damage control, there's going to be fallout, make sure you've covered all the bases, you've talked to who needs to be talked to, and you've been able to communicate the message that you want communicated. Number three, you need to do it strategically. And here's what I mean by that. Um... This volunteer, like I said, it's not a bad volunteer. Now, there are situations where you're dealing with something spiritual and there needs to be repentance. But most of the time, what you have when a volunteer is not succeeding is you've simply put them in a position that's not their spiritual gifting, it's not their talent, it's not their calling, it's not their passion. And so you need to strategically help them find their place. If they're a believer, if they're a follower of Jesus and they're in your church, for example, then... Um, that 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 volunteer is someone that's been gifted by God to serve in that in in that fellowship, and you need to help discover that. If this is in a in a situation that's not inside the church, obviously there are different rules that apply to that, and you have to figure that out. But if we're talking about volunteers, even if it's outside the church, you're talking about somebody who's willing to give you time. It's on you as the leader to figure out how you can best utilize their gifts and abilities to help the organization that you're serving. That's awesome. Just as you were talking about doing it carefully, uh, I remember something Craig Rochelle said one time in, in a leadership talk. He said a lot of pastors will say something like, our people won't do this or our volunteers won't do that. And he said the question you need to ask as a leader is, we haven't led them to fill in the blank. I think that's cool stuff. Yeah, totally agree with that because, again, we're talking about people giving you their time. These are volunteers. They're saying to you, I want to help you. And your job as a leader in leading volunteers is to position them so that they can do that most effectively. So it really falls on the leader to figure that out. Another question kind of in that area of broken organizations and things that are kind of messy. A a listener asked this, if you are asked to take on a leadership role in an existing organization that is a mess, what, Vance, would you say are some keys to revitalization of a stagnant or bad organization? Yeah, I would say, uh, first of all, you need to ask the question, why is it a mess? Um, Because the question says, I'm in an existing organization that's a mess, and now I'm a leader in it. So why is it a mess? Sometimes it's a mess because you have the wrong structure in place for that organization. And so you need to ask the question, is this a structural problem? Is this thing a mess because we don't have the right processes or procedures or structure in place organizationally? 
Or is it a mess because we have the wrong people in the right structure? We have the right structure of leadership in the organization. We just have the wrong people in the seats that are leading. And so you got to begin to, you, you must discern, is it, is, it, is, it, is it a mess because of the structure? Is it a mess because of the people within the structure? And if you discover its structure, then you got to figure that out. What's the right structure? And how do I shuffle the people within the organization to get it in the right structure? If it's a people problem, here's what I've learned. Um, you need to always hire slow and fire fast. If I've got people in a situation, in an employed situation where they're serving or they're, they're, it's their job and it's not the right fit, um, very seldom will that, well, maybe probably never will that ever fix itself. And if you've tried to address that and it's not getting better, it's only going to get worse. And you trying to um, feel better about yourself because you just let that thing drag out there is not going to help the situation. So hire slowly, fire fast. And we tend to do just the opposite. We tend to hire very quickly, and then we we fire very slowly, especially in Christian organizations and in the church. But uh, what I've learned is you cannot do benevolence ministry out of the personnel line. You need to do benevolence ministry out of the benevolence ministry line, personnel ministry out of the personnel ministry line, and never shall the two cross over. Um, so you got to answer the question, why is it a mess? Is it structure? Is it people? Or is it uh, neither of those? It could be a real lack of clarity when it comes to vision and mission. And so that would be the next thing I would say is that, that you need to establish clarity. Why do we exist? What are we here to do? And how are we going to accomplish that? And bringing some clarity, there's a great book written by a man named Will Mancini, um, that uh, will help you discover that. It's called Church Unique. Now, it's written for pastors and churches, but the principles in it are applicable beyond pastors and churches. It's about answering these questions of clarity about why you exist and how you're going to accomplish the mission that you have as an organization. Two other things I would say in answer to this question in the seconds that I have remaining. A statement that we've uh, adopted here at Hope that's become a, a rally cry for us is we don't pray before we work. Prayer is the work, then God works. So you cannot short sell this concept, this principle of praying through this process. If you're in an existing organization that's a mess and you just try to fix it, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to make it more of a mess. You need to get alone with God. You need to pray like you've never prayed before. You need to get a hold of the throne of God and not let go until you hear clearly from the Lord. And that would be the last thing I would say is this cultivating of intimacy with God. What you don't need to do is bring your best thinking to this situation. As a Christian, you need to hear from God, and faith comes by hearing. So you can't step out in faith to lead this organization until you've clearly heard from the Lord, and hearing from the Lord demands prayer and intimacy. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. So if you ask that question or you've ever wondered how to, to get out of a mess in an organization, Vance just gave you a lot of stuff to chew on. A couple more before we finish up today. This one comes from a young leader who's actually in seminary, just starting in ministry with a young family. He asked this, Vance, how should a young leader create boundaries between family and ministry? Yes, yeah, Scott, this is a super important question, uh, one that every young man, old man, young lady, old lady, all of us need to answer if we're going to be involved in ministry. Um, and I would say it starts by establishing priorities. Um, I mean, it's real simple. Number one in your life is your intimate love relationship with Jesus. That is above everything. Everything else in your life must revolve around 
your love relationship with Jesus. But next to your relationship with Jesus is your relationship to your spouse. If you're a man, it's your wife. If if you're a woman, it's your husband. And so next to your relationship with Jesus is your relationship to your spouse. Now, here's the thing about that. You'll never love your spouse the way Christ has called you to love your spouse apart from Christ in you. Meaning this, the most important thing you can do to invest in your marriage is be alone with Jesus. And it's out of your love relationship with Jesus that Christ in you will love and serve your spouse the way you're supposed to. But it's Jesus, then it's your marriage, and then it's your children. A lot of people I hear in ministry say it's Jesus, then it's my family. But you got to understand there's a priority inside the home. Your children will only be most healthy when you prioritize your relationship with your spouse over your relationship with your children. There's going to be a day when your children grow up and leave the house, and it's just going to be you and your spouse. And you need to make sure that you make a priority of your marriage. And then out of the overflow of your love relationship with Jesus and loving and serving your spouse, then comes your children, and you prioritize the relationship with your children. Now, we've talked about a lot. We ain't even got to ministry yet. So it's Jesus, it's your marriage, it's your children or and or grandchildren. Then it's the ministry. There's the priority. And here's the bottom line. There can be other ministries than the one you're serving in, but there's only one family. So there is your priority. I can, I can serve in other places and use my skills in ministry, but I get one shot at this family thing, and I got to get that right. And so you must establish boundaries that allow you to say yes and no to the right thing because here's the bottom line. Every time you say yes to something, you need to know you're always also saying no to something. And when you say yes to some things in ministry, you're also saying no to some things in family. And you need to make sure that the things you're saying yes to are more important than the things you're saying no to. And so what I've done is build some boundaries in my life. Uh, For example, um, I don't uh, do meetings with people uh, outside of the office uh, in evenings. I've guarded my evenings to be with my family. Um, I make sure that I have time away for vacation. I block several weekends a year that are called sanity weekends, where Saturday, Fridays and Saturdays, I can't, I won't take anything, funerals, weddings, ministry opportunities, nothing, because my family comes first. And so I take my calendar to begin the year. My assistant and I just did this, and we mapped out a calendar for the year that prioritizes my family so that ministry will not infringe. If you try to grab family time when you can, Ministry will always be the demand that eats up your family time. So building those boundaries is important and establishing them up front based on the right priority is the key. That's awesome. Last question. Uh, this one comes from a pastor in uh, Mississippi. actually heard you talk about this um, uh, in another format, but he said, how do you prioritize your marriage while staying effective in ministry? Kind of along the same lines of what we just talked about, but there's a specific paradigm you've kind of laid over your life that a lot of people will benefit from. So what is that paradigm to prioritize your marriage while also staying effective in ministry, Vince? Yeah, I have uh, kind of five little statements that my wife and I kind of adopted, I don't know, years and years ago, and we just kind of live by them. Um, and again, it's not that we're perfect at these five, but it's a target. And here's the thing. If you don't have a target, you're never going to hit anything. So you need to establish a target and, and at least then you're aiming at something. Um, but for us, the way my wife and I do this is five things. We pray daily, date weekly, escape monthly, get away quarterly, and retreat annually. So let me tell you what that means. Number one, we pray daily. 
That means we either pray together or more than often, we pray for one another. We're just making sure that daily, either one-on-one, praying for each other or praying together every day, we're before the Lord on behalf of our spouse. So we're praying, praying daily. Number two, we date weekly. We try to make sure that we go on a date every week. It can be an evening. It can be an afternoon date. It can be over lunch, whatever it is, but we try to have a date weekly. Number three, we escape monthly. At least once once a month, we try to plan some kind of an all-day type date where we're doing something together for the whole day. It can be getting out of town. It can be uh, dinner, movie, and a hike. It can be all whatever we want it to be, but it's an all-day kind of thing. Once a month, we spend that, that full day together. Then fourthly, get away quarterly. Every quarter, we try to get away for at least a night or two. We try to do an overnight Uh, where we're away from the kids, just my wife and I, once a quarter. Sometimes that's a whole weekend, but it's usually just an overnight thing. We'll go do something. And then lastly, retreat annually. We try to have at least once a year. Uh, We've done this for years, where we're away from the kids, just Christy and I together, for at least three nights. It usually is somewhere between three nights and a week. Uh, We'll try to do that. We usually try to do that around the celebration of our anniversary. So around the celebration of our anniversary, we'll try to plan this annual retreat where we go away together for three to five nights and just spend time. But that's kind of our target. So we try to pray daily, date weekly, escape monthly, get away quarterly, and retreat annually. And that's brought a lot of help to our relationship personally. That's awesome. Once again, Vance, thank you so much just for, as I'm listening, again, I've been around you for 11 years now or so. Just seeing this is not just podcast speak, pastor speak, but things that I've seen in your life. And so if you're listening, know that this is the real deal. um, And I am not uh, being told to be quiet as we record this. This is real stuff that I've seen in your life. So thank you for that, Vance. And thank you for listening to this. This is one of probably many three-minute drills. You didn't do too bad, actually, Vance, on the three minutes. Awesome. Um, But these are listener questions right from Twitter, Instagram, and Vance's email. So continue to send them to him. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram at Vance Pittman. Also, you can email Vance at HopeChurchOnline.com. We would love to just keep compiling questions from our listeners and hopefully give you some encouragement and answering your questions. So uh, leave us a review or a rating wherever you find your podcast, and we will catch you in March for the next episode of the Vance Pittman Leadership Podcast. Thanks again for joining us for the Vance Pittman Leadership Podcast. You can find all the show notes on your favorite podcasting app or at hopechurchonline.com slash podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. We will be releasing a new episode on the first Monday of every month to help you and your teams lead like never before.